The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses, where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire, with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Thanks, Roxy. And um, yeah, as we just heard in that passage, uh, Exodus 12, um, you know, basically what we're going to talk about today is uh, Jesus. Um, and uh, just to draw some sort of parallels to Jesus and, um, and the, uh, the Passover lamb. Excuse me while I just try and get my slides working. Okay, that's cool. Okay. So, um, just to give some context to that, I think it's, it's really important for us as Christians to go through the whole of the Bible, not just the New Testament. I know the New Testament is all about Jesus and the New Covenant is what really applies to us. But it's also important, you know, I don't know, when I was growing up, sometimes people would say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is very different to the God of the New Testament. And actually, no, that's not true, because the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He's unchanging. Um, and when we go back into the Old Testament, we can find out a lot about his nature, about who God is, about his righteousness. Um, and most importantly of all, every single part of the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, is pointing towards one thing, and it's pointed towards Jesus. Um, so as we've been going through Samuel uh, in recent weeks, and as we're going to do today, we're just going to look back into the Old Testament and just see some of the amazing things in the Old Testament that not only point to Jesus, but they're also just incredible prophecies um, that were made hundreds of years before Jesus was, was born, um, that just point to Jesus and tell us, you know, it, it just makes the Bible so much more, it gives me so much more faith in the Bible knowing that these things, these predictions were made and that they were seen out in reality um, so accurately. So just to give some context to Exodus 12 there, God's people were trapped in slavery in Egypt, they've been trapped in there for a long time, but God has promised them rest, he's promised them that they're going to go home, they're going to go home to the promised land and they're going to be set free. And God so far in this story has completed ten, uh, nine plagues 
on the uh, on the Egyptians to try and make them let his people go, but they've been hard-hearted and they haven't let him go. Pharaoh hasn't let them go. Um, but it's this tenth plague, this final plague, that God knows is going to be decisive and is going to make Pharaoh change his mind. Um, and this is the plague of the firstborn. So Exodus 11.4 says, This is what the Lord says about midnight. I will go through Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. And as we read later on, it says, then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So what exactly is going to set them apart? What it's going to be is the Passover lamb. Okay, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about the Passover lamb um, and all those things that Roxy just talked about, basically, in the reading there. So firstly, it's important to know that the Passover lamb is specifically for Israel. It's not for Egypt. It sets um, Israel apart from Egypt. So it's not for the rest of the world. It's just for Israel. Um, secondly, it's a sacrifice that's being made by man, by the Israelites, to God. So it's, it's a sacrifice from, from, from man to God. Um, and this lamb needs to be prepared on a certain day. It needs to be prepared from night and ten. That was when they had to bring the lambs in from the field and start preparing them. Um, Exodus 12, uh, 2 and 3 says, This month will be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. So um, they did this from Nisan 10, a specific date. Um, the other thing is that they needed to be male and they needed to be perfect. Um, Exodus 12:5 says, The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. So basically, they'd take them in from the field and they'd have to inspect them carefully to make sure that they were without blemish, uh, basically. Another attribute of them, as we heard in the reading, was that no, no bones could be broken on these lambs. Um, do not break any of their bones, it says in Exodus 12:46. And another important thing was, four days later after they'd been brought in for the field, they needed to be slaughtered by Israel on night and 14 at sunset um, and Exodus 12:6 tells us that it says take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all of the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight now what they would do there were lots of different things that they had to do but one of the really key things was that they had to take the blood of the lamb and they needed to put it on the door frames on the door sides and on the lintels and this was going to be a sign that would set them apart and would show God when death was passing over that they wouldn't be touched um, and uh, as it says in Exodus 12:7, it says they're then to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of their door frames. And another attribute of the lamb is it needed to be shared. They weren't to keep it to themselves. If they had too much in their households, um, they had to share it with others. So it was important that they didn't keep it to themselves. They were, they were supposed to share it around as well. Okay, another thing that we learn is that this marks the start of a journey. Not only does it save them from death, but it marks the start of a journey. And <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it marks the start of a journey for them. Um, how do we know that? It's because from Exodus 12:11, it says, This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Now, this wasn't some sort of elaborate sort of fancy dress that they had to do. This was basically because they had to be on a journey. They needed to be ready for a journey. I'll just um, sort that one for a second. <laughs> ah, thanks. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. That was my alarm. It's time to get up. <laughs> so I'm actually interrupting my own talk, which is quite amazing, really. <laughs> So as I said, before my alarm went off, um, 
it was the start of a journey. So basically, they had to, um, they had to dress up as if they were going to go somewhere, because God knew that the next morning, they were going to have to leave quickly. You know, that, that Pharaoh was going to let them go, and they'd have to be ready to leave sharply. They'd have to have all their walking gear on and ready for a, a pretty arduous journey. Um, another thing, the key thing, I suppose, of the Passover lamb is that it saves them from death, and it sets them free of slavery. So this is the main thing that the Passover lamb does. Um, as Exodus 12:13 says, the blood will be a sign for you on your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Um, and the final sort of attribute I wanted to go into was the fact that the lamb needed to be, this, this whole Passover event needed to be commemorated. Um, Exodus 12:14, the last bit of, of, the, of that reading was, this is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. So it's something that God was saying to them, each year you're going to commemorate this, and this is what the Israelites called the Passover festival. So it was to be celebrated for all the time afterwards. And as you'll see there, I'm just putting down all the different attributes, just so you can see the long list of things that they needed to do to get this right. The other thing to notice, though, is that this is just for, as we said, it sets apart the Israelites, but it's not for the rest of the world. So, you know, as for us, non-Israelites, people who aren't God's chosen people at this time, there was nothing for us. But for Egypt, there was no way that they could, they could do this. There wasn't a hope for them. Um, and, um, you know, the question is, you know, we need, we need a hope for the world. At this point in time, in the point, point of time in Exodus, we needed a hope. We didn't have one. But why did we need one, first of all? And how do we know that there was going to be this hope coming? Well, first of all, just to give context to what was happening in these times, basically man was still trapped in the legacy of sin since Adam. So since Adam sinned, basically his sin has been passed on through generation to generation. And from the moment we're born, even when we're conceived, we are already marked with sin. So no matter how perfect we try and live our lives, there is no way that we're going to be sinless because we have this legacy of sin since Adam. Um, and it's created a void, basically, between us and God. Uh, and that actually included the Israelites. Although they were God's chosen people, they were still had sin within them. So there was no way that they could get close to God because God is perfect. He requires perfection. And without that perfection, we don't have that hope of getting close to him in eternal life in heaven. Um, so what we needed was something, a, a kind of Passover lamb for us, for us and for the Israelites, which would give us this passage, passage to be close to God. Um, you know, the world, as we see at this time, it's still distinct from Israel. So Israel is, is set, set apart. And for us Gentiles, really, at this point of time, we had no hope. You know, the, the Egyptians could not escape from that situation. They had no hope at all. But thankfully, God had promised a saviour to come. And we know this through the Old Testament, through Scripture, because he tells us about it. Isaiah 11.10 says, In that day, the heir of David's throne will be a banner of salvation for all the world. And later on in Isaiah, it says, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So basically what God is saying in Isaiah there, what, what the Bible is telling us, is that foreigners who believe, foreigners who have faith, will have a hope. It's not just for the Israelites. It's not just for that chosen people. That, that he's telling us, he's, he's looking forward and prophesying that there will be a hope for us that we will be grafted on to, uh, to life. Effectively, we will receive our own version of the Passover lamb. So what evidence do we have of this in Scripture? Well, John 1.29 says, 
and this is John the Baptist speaking, he, he's, he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in 1 Corinthians 5-7, Paul says, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So as you can see there, Paul is relating this to the Passover that we've been reading about in Exodus. Revelation 7:14 says, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So just as the Israelites were set apart by the blood on the door frames and the lintels, so we're set apart by the blood of Christ, uh, the blood of the Lamb. Uh, so exactly, you know, how do, how do we know that Jesus' sacrifice, sacrifice was foretold in the story of Passover? Well, because there's lots of parallels, basically. There's, I'm, I'm just going to contrast now Jesus, uh, c- compare and contrast Jesus to, to the Passover lamb and see if there's any sort of links between the two. So first of all, the Passover lamb, as we said, it's specifically for Israel. The lamb of God, Jesus Christ, he's for all of the world. He's not just for Israel, he's for absolutely everybody, um, should they believe. The Passover lamb was something that, it was a sacrifice that man made to God. And Jesus is the opposite. Jesus is, is a sacrifice that God made of his only son um, to us. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And later on in Romans 5.8 it says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The other thing that kind of makes Jesus similar to the, the Passover lamb, is that he was a perfect male. Um, of course, the, the Passover lamb needed to be perfect and it needed to be male. And Jesus is the only perfect male who has ever walked this earth. Um, so, sorry, men, but he's the only perfect man there will ever be. Um, but also, there won't be a perfect woman either. So, you know, it, it, it applies to all of us. None of us are perfect. That's why we need Jesus. We, we all have sin from the days of Adam, even if we did amazing things and, and tried to be as perfect as we could be, we would never be good enough. But only Jesus is perfect. Um, and so he's the only person who has ever lived who could fit the description of the Passover lamb in being without blemish. We know this also because um, Pilate tried him. Um, you know, he, was, um, he tested him. He, he looked to see if there was any blame on him and he could find nothing wrong. He didn't want to have him crucified. He said to the Israelite leaders that, you know, there was nothing... He, he committed no crime. He, he was perfect. Another parallel is that um, the Passover lamb, as I said, it was prepared from Nisan 10. And what we find when we look at the Gospel stories is that Jesus came in from the fields and went to Jerusalem, if not exactly on Nisan 10. And there are people who believe it was exactly on Nisan 10. There are some that believe it was a, maybe a day off. But he came into the city and he went to the temple... On around that time frame on uh, Nisan 10. You know, I, I was just talking about Jesus being perfect. If you look at Corinthians 5.21 as well, there's just a little bit of proof on that. It says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that's just another bit of biblical proof there that Jesus is indeed perfect. More parallels. Um, the Passover lamb, no bones were to be broken. And as we see with Jesus, when he was crucified and when he was beaten, you know, if you think of all that he went through in his, um, in his journey to the cross, he was brutally beaten. Uh, he, was put on the, um, he was put on the cross, but none of his bones were ever broken. You know, it was a... Uh, the Romans used to, to make people die a little bit quicker, they used to break their legs. Um, but in the case of Jesus, they didn't do that. 
Um, and this was to fulfill prophecy, as John 19.36 says. For these things came to pass for f- to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. The Passover lamb, of course, was slaughtered by Israel, and I think it's fitting that Jesus, as our Passover lamb, was actually put to death by a combination of Israel and the Gentiles. So um, he was, the, the Israelites uh, demanded that he be crucified, um, and the Romans carried it out. And I think that's quite fitting because, of course, Jesus applies not only to Israel but to us as well. So it's something that, that both parties played a part in. Um, we see this in Luke 23, uh, 22 and 23, where it says, For a third time Pilate spoke to them. Why? What a crime has this, this man committed? But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. So that's the Israelites playing their part in the death of Jesus, just as the Romans played their part in actually carrying out the... Uh, the crucifixion. And another really important parallel between the Passover lamb and Jesus is, as I said, it's along the same time frames. So Jesus died, he was brought in from the fields on around about the 10th of Nisan, if not definitely definitely the the, uh, 10th of Nisan. And then um, on the 14th, um, he was killed at Passover. Uh, And Jesus says this himself, he says, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. That's Matthew 26, 2. So basically, these things are happening exactly the same time. So it's it's pretty conclusive from the evidence we have here that Jesus is really a representation, is our version of exactly what happened in the Old Testament. Okay, Um, we talked about the Passover lamb and how that needed to be shared from house to house. In the same way, the lamb of God, we have been given a great commission. You know, we've been given our freedom. We've been given freedom from death. We've been given freedom for the world. Um, And as a result, through our gratitude for that, we're supposed to share that message with others. We're not supposed to keep it to to ourselves. We're not supposed to keep um, the message of Jesus and the good news of Jesus to ourselves. But we're supposed to also share that from house to house to save others. Um, also, you remember, um, they were set apart by the blood on the frames of the door and on the lintel of the door. And um, for us, we're set apart from other people by our faith, our faith and our obedience, uh, and by our actions, by what we do, the way we walk our life, the way we, the way we help people, the way we show love. Now, that's not works. We don't do it because we need to work to do anything. Um, Jesus' death sacrifice and God's sacrifice for us is completely free of charge. But basically, our obedience and our faith in Jesus will show itself through our actions. Um, It certainly should show itself through our actions. Also, it's important to know that, um, you know, just as the Passover lamb was the start of a journey for the Israelites, they were freed from the world and they then went on a walk towards um, the promised land. So for us, when we accept Jesus into our life, we're starting a journey. We're moving away from the world. And just as the Israelites struggled in their way across the wilderness, so we will be on that, that journey towards, um, towards the promised land. Um, also, of course, the Passover lamb saves the, saved them from death and set them free. And in the same way, Jesus saves us from death. And it sets us free from, um, from the chains that we had before and grasps us on to the tree of life. And finally, it was important that... Um, the Passover lamb was commemorated and in the same way uh, Jesus as the lamb of God has to be remembered and as we're going to do today and as we do every week we'll be remembering that through our communion celebration um, 1 Corinthians 11:24 says and when he had given thanks 
Jesus broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So it is important, and it's another parallel that just shows this link up, is that we must commemorate Jesus. Um, It's a command from God that we, we do that. So there you'll see all the parallels together, which I hope gives you an idea of how closely these things are tied in. Um, if there was any doubt that the Passover lamb and the lamb of God are linked and that the Passover lamb is a foreshadowing or a, a sort of premonition, much as some of the stuff we're reading in Samuel at the moment is a, is a, a foreshadowing of Jesus. The story of David and Goliath can be used to describe Jesus as well. Um, and there's all sorts of examples through Joseph and all the way through the Old Testament, all these things that happen in history, which are all pointing towards Jesus Christ. Okay, so just to sort of begin to wrap up, really, as I mentioned just now, it was the start of a journey for them. You know, they've been freed by the Passover lamb, we're freed by the lamb of God, but there's also a lot of parallels we can draw from their journey as they go on across the, the wilderness and towards the promised land, which again, for me, really increases my faith in the Bible and the way it links up and the way that the New Testament looks forward to, the, the Old Testament looks forward to the New. You know, they, when they left Egypt, they passed through uh, the Red Sea. The seas were parted and they, they were given safe passage. And in the same way, when we accept Jesus into our life, we are baptised into him. So we go into the water and we come out of the water. Um, they then went on a journey where they wandered in the desert for several, several years. They went off in all sorts of directions, um, got lost, were, were um, disobedient, um, looked back to the world, looked back to the things that they used to do and thought, you know, how great it was because they were having a hard time. God was putting them through a hard time. But he was refining them and making them better. They were, they were going back to idolatry. And in the same way, I think when we go through our lives, we're on this struggle where we're trying to let go of the world, where we're trying to be better, we're trying to refine ourselves. And we do wander off paths. Sometimes we're not obedient. You know, sometimes we, we don't take the path that God wants for us because it isn't the easiest path. We take the easier path, but it takes us longer to get to where God needs us to go. And I think it's important for us in our lives to try and try and read what God wants us to do so that rather than following our own path, we're following, following God's path. And as they wandered in the desert, they, as I say, they struggled with their own ways, of course. Um, but they were also protected by God's pillar of cloud. That was basically a big pillar of cloud went before them that led the way for them and lit up the night as well as a pillar of fire. But for us, we have something that's kind of much better. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. And it's like our own personal sort of pillar of fire in terms of, you know, the Holy Spirit gives us guidance. And if we listen to that Holy Spirit, if we listen to God, then we should be led in the correct directions. Um, And we should also shine that light out from us because we are having the Holy Spirit indwelling. It means that we can guide others. We can show people our light. We can shine our light out to others, and I think it's important for us to to do that. But I think one of the most amazing sort of parallels between these two stories, really, is the fact that when they came to the end of their journey, when they finally got to the Jordan River and they were about to enter into the Promised Land, you know, we would have thought that probably Moses would have taken them into the Promised Land. But what we find is that Moses wasn't able to do that, and that wasn't God's plan. Because Moses, who represented, Moses represented the, the law, he, he represented the, the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law, he wasn't able to get them into the Promised Land. 
In fact, he had to hand over, and God's plan was not for Moses to lead them into the promised land, but it was for somebody called Joshua to lead them into the promised land. And what's amazing about that, in my opinion anyway, is that Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua, which when translated to Greek is Jesus. So you have God choosing somebody called Joshua with the same name basically effectively as Jesus is the only one who can lead them into that promised land. All the law, Moses, the representation of the law can't get across that river. The only, um, the only one who can get across that river and can take them across that river is, is Joshua, meaning, meaning Jesus. And finally, the final, another amazing parallel in my opinion is that they crossed the Jordan um, at Passover time. So on Nisan 10, they crossed over, the seas were parted, and they crossed over the Jordan River. Actually quite close to where Jesus was baptised and where John, uh, John the Baptist did his uh, baptisms. So I, th- I think it's just incredible. For me, it gives me a lot of faith in the truth of the Bible. You know, to see these things that were written many, many years ago come into pass uh, through Jesus is incredible. And what makes it more incredible for me is that yes you could say well okay they they made it so that Jesus was the same as the Passover lamb somebody else wrote it and it all fitted perfectly with what they written before but that doesn't really make sense because for the Israelites there was no vested interest in Jesus being their savior they rejected their savior in fact they didn't see their savior many of them didn't see that this was the fulfillment of prophecy so there is no reason for the Jewish people to write this conclusion to the story because for them, they saw their saviour as being someone who was going to come, destroy all their enemies, give them an amazing life and set them free. And of course, it didn't happen quite in the way they expected. In the same way, you wouldn't say there's a vested interest for the Romans to make up the story of Jesus because if you look at the story of Jesus and you actually look in the Bible, there is nothing in the Bible that would point towards anything that is positive for for the Romans. It doesn't paint them in a great picture. There's nothing in the Bible also that puts people into chains or that that makes them subject to Rome. You know, it's something that no Roman would want to sort of um, to create. And also for the, the people who believed in Jesus, the people who actually wrote the Bible, the, the New Testament, there's also no vested interest for them to do it because it led to them being persecuted, it led them being martyred. Um, and led to them having a really hard time as they tried to spread the story. So for me, I think it's pretty clear that there is a real match-up between the Old Testament and New, but there is no reason for somebody to make that story up. I believe it it gives me faith that the Bible is God-breathed, that it is incredibly complex, incredibly detailed. You You couldn't get all these attributes correct without making one mistake, leaving something out. But this is incredibly joined up, and I think that gives me a lot of faith, basically, in, uh, in, in the Bible, certainly. Okay, so just to wrap up, I wanted to give you a, a challenge, basically. I mean, we've talked about the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. Um, all our journeys are different as we go across the wilderness towards the Promised Land. You know, no one has, has the same journey. But what we, can, what we do all have as Christians, if we've accepted Jesus into our life, is that we know we've got a, a, a map book in the Bible to give us direction about what God might want for us, to give us an idea of who God is, um, and to just build our faith. But we've also got a guide, a personal guide in the Holy Spirit. So whereas they had that pillar of fire, we have the Holy Spirit with us to guide us. And it's up to us, really, 
how much we listen to the Holy Spirit, how much we listen to our conscience, how much we listen to God's plans for us and let him guide us. And I think I'd encourage you and I encourage myself and everybody to listen more to the Holy Spirit and be guided more by the Holy Spirit and read into God's word and pray and, and just try to discern his, his plan for us because his plan for us is perfect. The Holy Spirit is guiding us and all we need to do really is listen. You know, it's easy for us to go back to our old ways. Um, the church since the beginning has been sort of going off track, going back to idolatry, have been doing all sorts of things. I'm not talking about this church here, by the way. The, ch- the church, um, although we're not perfect, but, but the, um, you know, the church as general from the very early days, even when Paul was around, um, he was having to try and get them back on track. And it's, it's hard for us to, when we're living in the world, not to be sort of influenced by the world. So it's important for us to, to avoid looking back. But the biggest sort of challenge I have for everybody today is how do we show, how do we show, just as those, that blood on the door frames set them apart, how do we set ourselves, how do we show that we're set, up, set apart? Because we are set apart, but how do we show it? How do we show that we're washed in the blood of the Lamb? How do we show to people through our love, through our care, through what we do, by how we act, how we reach out to people? How do we show that we're set apart? in the same way that the Israelites showed that they were set apart um, through the Passover lamb. And I think it's important for us to just look at that and think, how am I showing that I'm washed in, in the blood of the lamb in my life as much as I, uh, I maybe could? And it's a challenge for all of us, I think. So I think sort of fittingly um, today, as I said, we always take communion. Uh, and um, fittingly, we're going to be doing that now. And it is in remembrance of what God did for us, what Jesus did for us. And it's a celebration, basically. Um, you know, some people growing up might have got into this idea that communion was something that you do with your head down to the floor and you, you feel all ashamed of yourself and, and bad about things. And while it's important for us to refine ourselves and try and improve ourselves in our lives, it's not essential in terms of, you know, we don't need to work our way to salvation. Jesus has done that for us once and for all. But while I think it's important for us to realise that communion, it's not about feeling sorry for yourself. It's not about looking at yourself and feeling unworthy and feeling shameful about your previous life or anything you've done. It's actually totally the opposite of that. It's about accepting that no matter how much we did, we would never be good enough to reach eternal life without Jesus. We need Jesus. This is why we celebrate him, because without that Passover lamb, without him, we had no way. We had no chance um, of eternal life or uh, even a relationship with God. So it is a celebration. It's something that, yes, we do with a somber heart. Yes, we do taking it seriously. We don't do it... um, you know, taking it for granted in any way whatsoever. But it is also this celebration. And because we know we are saved, because we are confident and sure in our salvation, and the Bible tells us that we are if we believe, then we should not be thinking when we come to get communion, we shouldn't be looking inward at anything that we've done wrong or anything that, any way that we're not worthy. We should be looking at others. We should be looking at people within this church, how we can care for people in this church, how we can be together as a church. And we should be looking outward to people outside the church and thinking, how can we reach out to people? How can we tell people about Jesus and what he's done for us? 